And now, get your trivia muscles flexing for the latest installment of Sagebrush Believe It or Not Football Edition. For each fact, you'll have five seconds to decide if you believe it or not. And away we go. In 2020, the National Chicken Council projected that Americans would eat a record-breaking 1.4 billion chicken wings over Super Bowl weekend. And I guarantee half those wings were at Todd's house that year. You better believe it, folks. The National Chicken Council is an actual thing. All right, here's another. There are 12 NFL teams that have never taken home the rings. Well, come on, 12? That sounds unreasonably high. Unbelievable! There are more than 12 NFL teams. Okay, as of 2020, a 30-second Super Bowl ad cost $5.6 million. In comparison, ads at the first game in 1967 went for about $40,000. All I see is our next capital campaign right there. Come on, Sagebrush, we've done crazier, and, and it's right, three in a row. All right, let's see if you get this next one. Some Super Bowl tickets can cost more than the average American's annual salary. Are these seats encased in gold? That's got to be false. They can't do four believe-its in a row. And they did, four in a row. It's unbelievable. Okay, now this next one has to be false. The NFL does not pay bands or artists to perform at the halftime show. <laughs> yeah, right, like they're not getting paid. I'm done, this game is rigged. Apparently Sagebrush would never lie to you, especially about football stats. You better believe it. Hey, all I know is the Chiefs aren't going to the Super Bowl. So, I don't have to listen to Todd gloat for every weekend until next year. So that's a good thing. Hey, welcome to our brand new series called Believe It or Not, where we take a common beliefs in our culture and compare them with what the Bible actually says. Uh, we're going to learn a lot and have some fun during this series, uh, but what we're looking at today is anything but fun or lighthearted. As a matter of fact, having been in ministry for over two decades now, uh, I have met so many people, both Christians and non-Christians, who believe the thing we're talking about today and wind up living a life that is miserable, discouraged, and hopeless. And what we're talking about is the belief that God can't change our story. There are those who believe that for whatever reason, God can heal other people and save them and change their life and use them in a powerful way, but for whatever reason, they believe that they are the exception to the rule and God can't use them in a powerful way. And unfortunately for those who believe this, they live their lives believing that either God is unable to help them or unwilling to help them and that they're just stuck. So their marriage is never gonna get better. Their addiction is never gonna be broken. Their depression is never gonna lift. Uh, whatever they're struggling with, is never going to change because they don't know or believe that God even cares about their situation. Uh, there was a young man many years ago who almost gave up believing that God cared about him. As a matter of fact, he grew up in a religious home, but one that was full of a lot of pain, a lot of challenges, marriage issues. And by the time he was in high school, everything began to fall apart in his family. His sister was uh, struggling with mental illness. Uh, his parents invested everything they had into a business that went bankrupt after about a year and a half. 
and um, his dad couldn't find a job, and so they couldn't keep up with their mortgage payments. It wasn't long before the bank came along and evicted them from their home. And when that happened, uh, the mom and the dad decided to go their separate ways. Well, this young man had grown up believing that family and faith was the answer, and so he began to lean into church and try to find answers there, but the church he was going to made his family the subject of their gossip instead of their prayers, and he found out. So it wasn't long before he decided, you know what, I don't need church, I don't need my family, I'm going to go out on my own and try to make a name for myself and a life for myself by hard work. So he worked hard, he made lots of money, he went in and out of different relationships, but the further he went, the emptier he became. And then he found himself starting to get stuck in addictions, dealing with anxiety and depression, and waking up day after day believing that God didn't care a lick about his life or the misery he was in. But then one day something happened, something amazing. He received a phone call, and uh, a friend of his that he had grown up with invited him to go to a men's conference. Now, he doesn't know why he said yes. Maybe there was a glimmer of hope inside of his heart that God could change his story. But he agreed to go. And on that very first night of this conference with 50,000 men, a miracle took place. He was heading on his way back from the concession stand to his chair, and right there in the middle of the massive amount of people, God spoke to him for the very first time in his life. God whispered to his heart, why are you here? I don't know, he said. I guess I just hate my life and I hate myself and I'm hoping that maybe you can help me. And then God made this young man an offer he couldn't refuse. He said, I'll tell you what, if you will give me your life with all the pain, all the brokenness, all the emptiness, I will take it and I will give you my life and I will change your story. In that moment, right there in that stadium, that young man gave everything, all of his pain, all of his hurt, all of his past to God and God made him new again. His road to recovery had begun. God was doing something brand new in his life. In fact, his life would never be the same again and he would go on to become a pastor one day how do I know so much about that story? Because that young man is me. <laughs> Friends, I had almost given up believing that God could change my story. That God wanted to change my story. And much to my surprise, even though I almost gave up on God, God had never given up on me. I want you to know if you're here today and you're stuck... If you're here today and you've been waiting a long time and you've been wondering and doubting that God could do something in your life, and every year you, you make these New Year's resolutions and year after year nothing seems to change, you don't seem to get any traction. And maybe you're believing the lie we're talking about today, that maybe other people can change, maybe, maybe other people can be forgiven or have their marriages restored or their addictions broken, but somehow you might believe you're the exception of the rule. And I want you to know that's a lie. I hear this, and I've heard it for 20 years. People say things like, you don't know what I've done. God can't forgive me. I've met people who say, you know what? I've tried a thousand times to break this addiction. I'm never going to get free. It's just who I am. I've met people who don't believe God can use them because they believe they're damaged goods. 
And I've met people who don't believe that their finances or their marriage or their anxiety and depression or any of these other things in their life are ever going to get better because God either can't or won't change their story. I'm here to tell you if, if you've ever believed that, if you believe that right now, I want you to know something. That is a lie from the very pit of hell. God's not done with you. God's just beginning. In fact, there's this amazing verse in Revelation chapter 3, and it's a, it's a verse that we need to understand because it's the picture of Jesus. And, and it's the picture of him standing right outside the door to our heart. And it's not necessarily about salvation. It's about letting him into every part of who we are. And here's what Jesus tells us in Revelation 3.20. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I believe what Jesus is saying here is, listen, I am trying to get a hold of you. I'm trying to speak to you. I'm trying to reach you. But you've got a door closed to me. And we're not going to experience the freedom of God and the peace of God and the grace of God. And, and I'm not talking about some kind of prosperity thing where we open the door and God makes us filthy rich and makes all of our problems go away. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God making you whole and God making you holy. And he's waiting right outside the door and he wants to change you and he wants to change me. But we've got to open that door to him. And I believe that there are four things that we can look at this evening that help us understand what it looks like when God opens the door uh, and we get to experience Jesus coming in, okay? Here are four things that we need to do to open the door to the work of Christ in our life this year, okay? Let's look at them. First of all, we have to actually believe that change is possible. There's this great story in the Gospels uh, that you might miss if you're reading through it, but it's the story of a man who was changed by God because he believed he could be changed. The story picks up in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Okay, so in this story, here's Peter and John, Jesus' two disciples. They're on their way to do what they did pretty much every day, and that is to go to daily prayer. And they come across this guy who's a paralyzed beggar. And, and the Bible says he's been paralyzed since birth. I mean, imagine that. We don't know how old he is. But he's been paralyzed every day of his life. Now, being paralyzed is obviously a diff difficult thing, right? I mean, it's, it's a challenge today. It was even harder back then. There were no <laughs> handicapped access places. There, there was no uh, help from the government, uh, no resources available. So this poor guy, he had to have people who had pity on him pick him up and carry him all the way to the gate beautiful and leave him there to beg all day and then pick him up at the end of the day to take him back home. And that had to be so humiliating. Here's this guy, he's struggling, he's suffering, and He's just hoping anybody can give him anything. But on this particular day, something amazing happened to him. Verse 4 says, Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. 
Now, I'm guessing that for most of this man's life, as he sat there and begged, he probably didn't have people make a lot of eye contact with him. I mean, let's be honest. Some of us know what it's like when we pull up to a light and there's somebody there and they've got the cardboard sign and they're wanting some food or something, right? You don't typically just give them the eye, do you? That'd be weird. It'd be weird for them and it'd be weird for you. No, you just, either you're going to help them or you're not. And if you don't want to help them, you don't really make eye contact with them, do you? You just kind of look around and you're like, light turn green, light turn green, light turn green. I've never done that personally. Just kidding. That's this guy's life. He's the least of these, right? People are ignoring him. People are walking right past him. And if anything, maybe they throw a little bit of money his way. But this was a different day. Peter and John looked directly at him. Peter said, look at us. And man, that got his attention. I think some of you, God's been saying, look at me for a long time. But if you're honest, you're so discouraged. You feel so defeated that you're not even believing that God can do anything to change your situation anymore. But for some reason, even though he'd been paralyzed his whole life, this guy looked at them and then Peter said these words, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. This is awesome. In the blink of an eye, this guy went from being a hopeless, helpless beggar to being able to jump around and live life and go wherever he wanted. And, and the best thing about this story that you may not know is back in these days, they wouldn't allow beggars to be inside of the temple courts close to the Holy of Holies. So this was the first time this guy was able to walk in and be closer to the presence of God. What a life change. What an incredible story. He had spent his whole life with this old story. Now he got to experience a new story. Why? Because when Peter said, look at us, he did. And when Peter promised him that he could walk again, he believed. And Peter took him by the hand and helped him stand up. And the rest of the story is history, right? So he had to believe. Friends, we have to believe. We can't give up believing that God wants to do something and can do something in our life, okay? So that's the first one. Let's talk about the second one. We have to surrender our old story. Now, I've run across a lot of people who say they want God to do something great in their life. And in fact, sometimes they come to the decision room in their life, they're like, yeah, I'm ready to just start all over with God. What they may not realize is they have to get rid of living in their past. So I meet people, and, and we talk to people all the time, and it's like they let their past become this anchor that weighs them down. They've lived with this problem or this struggle or this addiction or this emptiness or brokenness for so long, it's become a part of who they are. I would tell you we've got to let those things go. Um, I came across a story not too long ago of how Pacific Islanders would catch monkeys to make them their pets. This is, a, this is a crazy story. It all starts with tree nuts, okay? So monkeys love tree nuts, and they have an incredible sense of smell. 
So these islanders who wanted to make monkeys their pets, they would go and they would find a coconut. And then they would put a hole in the side of the coconut that was just big enough for a little monkey to put his hand in. And then they would take the biggest tree nut they could find that would fit in that hole and pop it into the hole. And then what would they do next? They would leave the coconut with the tree nut inside of it out where the monkeys like to play. Wasn't long before a monkey or two would come along and they would smell the delicious tree nut that they wanted. They would go over and find it inside of the coconut and decide they wanted to partake, all right? So they would go along and find it, shake it, put their little hand in and feel around until they found the tree nut. Yes, got the tree nut. There was a problem. The, the hole was so small, they couldn't pull their hand out with the tree nut in it through the side of the coconut. Now, you would think that these cute little monkeys also were smart little monkeys, and they would just give up and let go of the tree nut, pull their hand back out, and go on their merry way. But that often didn't happen. In fact, they would hold onto that tree nut and refuse to let it go to the point where they would be dragging the coconut all around behind them, wearing themselves out to the point where they, these islanders would be able to go and find them and capture them pretty easy because they were so worn out from dragging the coconut behind them. That's a picture of us sometimes. We just have these things in our past and these things we can't seem to let go. And, and I don't want to let that go. And that's who I am. And I've been hurt. And I struggle with forgiveness. And, and we drag these things behind us and we don't realize the enemy's making a monkey out of us. So we don't come from monkeys, but we can probably all relate with this story, right? See, God wants to give us something new in our life. He wants to place something new in our hands. But we can't accept those things if our hands are full of our past. We've got to let those things go. Um, I was thinking about regrets in the past, and I, I was thinking about one person, Paul the Apostle. If anybody had a reason, right, a legitimate reason to hold on to all the things from his past, man, it was Paul. Here's a guy who was a super religious dude, but he went and uh, he would round up Christians. He would imprison many of them. He even had some of them killed. Until he became a Christian himself, he didn't even realize how terrible he was. Now, you and I might be tempted to live the rest of our life ashamed, embarrassed, defeated, feeling guilty, feeling like God could never forgive us, but that's not what Paul did. Here's what he said in Philippians chapter 3. He said, forgetting the past and looking Forward, think about that word, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. See, Paul knew he couldn't move forward if he let everything from his past, both the good things he did and the really terrible things he did, hold him back from being the person that God wanted him to be. And thankfully, because he believed that God could change his story, and he did, and he let go of his past and who he used to be, he was able to do the third thing that's so important. We need to commit to the new story. Listen, if you want God to change your story, and if you want that story to last, you gotta be all in. You gotta be committed. You can't be half-hearted with a new story. This, this man that was begging for 
all of his life. He had to trust and, and take Peter by the hand, stand up and go in the temple and be all in in his new story for God. And you and I have to as well. I find it fascinating that when we read the gospel, sometimes we don't quite understand that the disciples were all in. We see moments when they hesitate, moments when they doubt, but I want to show you the picture of what an all-in kind of life looks like, okay? Matthew chapter 4 shares how when Jesus began his public ministry, he decided to pick 12 disciples to follow him. Verse 18 says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called, uh, called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Now we can read this, and you probably maybe read this if you've read the Gospels, and you're like, okay, you know, they, they were like, uh, Jesus like, hey, come follow me. And they're like, sweet, let's go. No, there's so much more that we're not catching here. When Jesus said, follow me, there was no delay. There was no discussion. They didn't debate him. They didn't hesitate. They left their nets and followed him. Translation, they walked away from their livelihood. They walked away from their business. In the case of James and John, they even left their dad and the family business to follow him. They had no idea where they were going. They didn't know what God was going to do with their life, but they were all in. They were all in. And when Jesus called them, they were ready to go. Friends, when God calls you and I, there can be no rival, no refusal, and no retreat. we got to be 100% in, 100% ready to go where God asks us to go. We can't be like this guy that approached Jesus and he said, okay, Jesus, yeah, I'll follow you. I, I really want to learn more about you and, you know, be one of those disciple guys, but I just have some things I got to do over here first. You know what Jesus said to him? He said, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, listen, friend, you can't go forward and follow me when you're, you're looking backwards. I think often about that moment when God spoke to me, there I was uh, at Promise Keepers 1993, walking back to my seat, heard the voice of God in my heart for the very first time in my life, and man, in a blink of an eye, I made that agreement with God and I felt the change in my life. And right there, I gave up all my past, all my sin, all my shame. And I, I just, in one moment, I just gave those things to God and decided that I would not dwell on those things any longer. I also decided to be all in. As soon as I got back from Colorado, um, I would wake up every morning and I would say, Lord, here I am. I'm your servant. Whatever you want for me, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I am all in. And I was. But I encountered something that I didn't anticipate encountering, and that's the fourth thing that you and I need to understand if we want God to change our story. We need people around us who celebrate our new story. Believe it or not, not everybody's going to be happy when God does something new in your life. There'll be people who want the old you back. Oh, I miss the old you. We don't ever drink anymore. We don't ever have any fun anymore. You'll have people who think you've lost your mind. 
You'll even have people who try to tempt you and pull you back into the old life, the old story. I got back and I began to read my Bible and pray and I was dead serious about this new relationship I had with Jesus and he began to change me from the inside out and all my friends started freaking out on me. They began just looking at my life and the things happening and and some of them were vocal and they're like, dude, what is wrong with you? You're so weird now. And I had other people that they didn't tell me, they just kind of like faded into the distance, never invited me to hang out with them again. Within just a few months of coming back from this men's retreat, I didn't have one single friend in my life. Not one. I had a a friend in Jesus, but I didn't have anybody with skin on. And I was lonely. I went through one of the hardest years of my entire life, and I began to pray and struggle, and, and I understood that I probably needed new friends because my old friends would pull me back into old things, but I began to really struggle with that, and I prayed, and I said, God, I need some new friends. And after waiting for a year for God to answer my prayer, I realized that the truth had been there for me all along. I was going to a church, and right after the service one day, I was like, I need to get in a group. So I I found out what kind of uh, small groups were open to accepting new people and um, decided that that next week I was going to visit that group for the very first time. Now, I was was intimidated. I hadn't been a Christian long. Um, I, I didn't know hardly anything about the Bible. I was scared to death. I didn't know a single person in the group, but I showed up. What I didn't know was that group of people would show me what it looks like to be a Christian. They showed me what a real Christian marriage was supposed to look like. The small group leader showed me what a man of God was supposed to look like. And they began to help me learn to walk with Jesus and to live out my new story, and they encouraged me when I was down. They were there for me when my, uh, I lost my job. They were there with me when my sister became very, very sick and eventually passed away. They were there with me when I had a relationship that I thought was going to end in marriage, and it didn't. It just ended. All those times, I thought that God was going to walk away, that God was going to give up on me again, but God just kept changing my story again and again and again, and they helped me keep going when I didn't know if I could keep going any longer. Philip and Michelle McBride, I owe so very much to them. I I reached out to them this week, and I said, can I show your picture? I said, I want to brag on you guys and talk about all that you did to change my life and be there for me when I needed a friendship. And uh, Philip said, oh, yeah, you can show our picture. So this is, this is them right here. Really, really great friends. <laughs> Don't ever for a second believe a lie that says that God can't change your story. He can I, I was miserable, I was lost, I was hopeless for so many years because I didn't believe. And when I finally opened up the door, when I heard the knock, when Jesus said, look at me, and I looked at him, he changed my story. I let go of my past, I was all in for the future, and I found great friends like Philip and Michelle in my small group to help me keep going. Because of that, I'm still standing today, and my story continues. So how about you? You're ready for God to do something great in your life this year? Are you ready to take the risk of believing again that he can change you? I hope and I pray you will. He's knocking. 
You just have to let them in. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I'm only standing today because of your grace and because of the people that you put in my life to encourage me to keep going when I felt like giving up. Lord, that, that moment in that stadium where you asked me to take a faith step to trust you, thank you for doing that. You didn't have to, but you did. And Lord, there have been so many moments in my life since then where I wasn't sure if you were done with me. And yet, Lord, you always want to go a little further. Thank you. I pray for my friends right now who are, they know this talk is for them. They know they've been defeated, they've been discouraged. And Lord, they have been so tempted to believe that their situation can't get better, that they can't find holiness and wholeness. I pray that you would speak clearly to them, that they would lean into you, and Lord, they would just surrender right now, wherever they are, and allow you to do the things that you want to do, Lord. Help them open that door to you so you can come in and you can change their life for good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.